It's like green on Canada Day. This week, just as soon as it came in, the e-bike rebate is gone, but it will be long remembered by the roughly 88% of applicants that the city has no plans on paying. Plus, the Edmonton Public School Board scrambled to get another board meeting together, allowing them to do nothing at all before adjourning until September. Hi, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Municipally. Welcome back to Speaking Municipally, episode 91, the penultimate episode before we'll be going on our summer break. So make sure to tune in next week before I peace out on vacation to, I don't know, my backyard. (laughs) It's the new normal. On to the rapid fire. After performing a series of backyard concerts around Edmonton, the Edmonton Symphony Orchestra is taking to the seas for their best concert yet. The ESO will be performing on Wizard Lake, about one hour drive southwest of Edmonton. Viewers are invited to enjoy, physically distanced, on their own watercraft. Said the director of the orchestra, quote, We were forced to take our show on the water because we were simply rocking too hard. Sometimes you party too hard and the fuzz gets too hot on your tail, so you need to take to the water. And man, Steve on the oboe, he shatters worlds. And don't even get me started on Susan on the viola. She's been barred entry from 40 different countries for being an absolute unit. Shows by donation, end quote. Most Edmonton high schools will be switching to a quarterly system next year with just two classes per day, each class running more than two hours in an effort to limit contact and potential COVID transmissions between students. Reviews have been mixed for the program, with many lamenting the long class times and reduced social interaction, but some are celebrating the changes, said one high school student on the condition of anonymity, quote, it's a really great change. Normally, when I skip bio, I only get maybe 50 or 60 minutes, not nearly enough time to go see a movie or something. Now I have the entire morning, end quote. Christian Jones was released as the Eskimos receiver after he posted and doubled down on a homophobic tweet. The team quickly responded to the outrage and posted a statement saying, quote, words and the words we choose have a strong effect. When we use our privilege and casually throw around words that can hurt another community, that's unacceptable and requires immediate action. Just because, historically, saying some things hasn't led to consequences doesn't mean that can persist. We can and must change and be examples rather than just responders to controversy. Our team, proudly named the Eskimos, are taking this opportunity today, on the day irony has officially died, to be that action. End quote. Speaking Municipally is part of the Alberta Podcast Network. Locally grown, community supported. Wait, what? We've got a new tagline for the network. The founding sponsor has moved on, and it's a, it's the start of, uh, I'm sure, many great new things for the network. This episode is brought to you by Shift Podcast by Alberta Innovates. Shift showcases the work being done in the province's innovation ecosystem, everything from health to clean energy. Join hosts Katie Dean and John Hagen as they interview the researchers, entrepreneurs, and businesses that are shifting our perspective about innovation in the province. You can find Shift Podcast by Alberta Innovates on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And you can also find it online at shift.albertainnovates.ca. So let's talk about bikes. Off-brand for me, sure, but the e-bike rebate has made the news this week once again. This has long been a series of events that we've tracked, both with excitement, then confusion, and now 
lament. Uh, so, Mac, take us through what has happened with this wild roller coaster ride of e-bike rebates. Well, I think we need to start last summer, August of 2019, when council boldly declared that there is a climate emergency. And along with that, they looked at Edmonton's energy transition strategy, the targets for that, and some of the actions that they could take to implement that strategy. They asked for a list of things that administration could prioritize or accelerate. What, what can we do now to really take action if there is this climate emergency? That report came back in December, had a bunch of things that admin said already have funding. Council said, great, we want details on the rest of it, but you know, basically go forth and do that work. And then we didn't hear about it for a while, um, partly because of COVID, right? We've had this energy transition update has been delayed uh, a couple of times. But in June, early June, on June 3rd, the city introduced the rebate program that you've undoubtedly heard about in the news over the last couple of weeks. Uh, there was a series of rebates in there. One of them was for e-bikes. We didn't know all the details at the time. We do now. But essentially, the rebate was up to $750 or 30% of the cost of the e-bike, whichever is less. And it was a three-year program at $150,000. So $50,000 a year for three years in 2020, 2021, and 2022. So that was June 3rd. In just a week, the city had nearly 700 applicants, 691 people applied to get the e-bike rebate. And we know now that only about 83 of them have been approved for the rebate. And so it didn't take long for Councillor McKean and others in the in the media and social media world, as well as fellow councillors, to start complaining about the program. Not however, because not enough people didn't get the rebate, but because they thought it was a poor use of money in the middle of a pandemic. We'll get into the politics of it, but first, hey, we've got a guest that has firsthand knowledge of this. Uh, Andrew Cowan, uh, co-owner of Northern Chicken, is joining us to talk quickly about his experience submitting an e-bike rebate. So you decided to buy an e-bike Bring us through the decision-making process. Why did you decide to get one now of all times? Um, well, me and my wife had been chatting about it a little bit. Uh, we were kind of looking for some ways to save money. We both had cars. We have one kid. Two cars is a lot of money to dump into uh, or a lot of money to spend throughout the year for a family of three. Uh, we moved a little closer to downtown. I'm able to bike to work fairly quickly. And an e-bike was an idea that, hey, during the winter time, or if we need to go inclement weather or my wife needed to use the bike instead of me um, an e-bike might be a good idea for us to supplement our regular bikes uh, then this rebate came up and it was just kind of like you know what we're gonna we're gonna take the chance at it because i don't think there's gonna be a better time than now for us to make a jump like this so the e-rebate tipped the scales then you were thinking about it but that was the little nudge to say we're gonna do this now yeah for sure it was the, it was definitely the nudge for me bring us through the process of this rebate how did it work did you just go to the store and they submitted it? What did you have to do? Uh, well, I know the guys down at Rev Cycle, so I had chatted with them previously about it, um, about getting an e-bike, just as in a, hey, like, I just want to check it out, get a little info. And then my buddy there just said, hey, like, this this is coming down the pipe. If you want to pull the trigger, it's probably a good time. And so they brought me into the store. They showed me some options, kind of across the different scales of, of price points. And, and uh, I mean, at my own fault, I probably went up a little bit in price point knowing that the rebate was coming back. And so you submitted your application to the city. What have you heard back so far? Uh, crickets. <laughs> crickets. And, and how long uh, ago was that that you submitted? Uh, I submitted June 4th, June, June 5th. And then I followed up with another email on the 21st 
they included an email in their uh, in their original uh, email telling me they had received my my request for rebate. I emailed that on the twenty first. Still haven't heard anything back. I messaged counselors. They kind of just said they were looking into it. Still haven't heard anything back from them. Now, mind you, that's only been a couple days, so I know they're busy with lots of things. So I don't expect a twenty four hour turnaround on that. But it's it's pretty much just been crickets. So, um, good news, bad news. Um, the bad news, you're not going to get the money you were promised for a bike. But some good news, uh, the city didn't actually plan on giving most people who applied money anyway. And we're still on track to spend half a billion dollars removing a couple traffic lights from the Yellowhead. Do you feel better yet? No. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> I, I think I had a good Twitter rant yesterday at, in, in a little bit of rage about, uh, about that. And it's just... I just don't get why we have to keep dumping tons and tons and tons of money into cars. I thought this e-bike rebate was a great chance to change the way people got around town and inexpensive transportation is a good thing for everybody. And it wasn't just lip service. You actually took some action on that. And and I know you've been thinking about this before. I remember having a conversation with you outside my place uh, when the e-scooters were new and we were yeah. we were talking about alternative transportation. Something you've been thinking about for a while. Yeah, for sure. It, what was your what was your reaction when you heard that council was going to discuss this and potentially cancel it? Disappointment. I mean, I always thought of our council as somewhat progressive, um, especially in for for Alberta, and I thought this was a great step in a great direction. Like those bike paths are so full right now; people are getting out and biking. Even in my own staff at the restaurant, more people are buying bikes. They're loving getting out there. The city should be embracing this a little bit more. And I mean, long term, the more people that bike, we're going to save money on infrastructure costs long term. Like creating and maintaining biking infrastructure costs a fraction of what it does for cars. Andrew, I should ask, what are you planning to do with the e-bike now? Are you going to keep it? Are you thinking about returning it? Did that cro- thought cross your mind when you found out the rebate wasn't happening? Nope. We're going to, uh, we're definitely going to keep it. Uh, we made a, we made a commitment, me and my wife, um, to give this a go for a while and see what happens. I've taken the insurance off of my car. I haven't sold it yet. I'm going to kind of wait, wait it out a little bit and see how we can make this work. I'm pretty confident that we can, and I really am confident it's going to be good for us long term. It's just a little disappointing that, you know, short term during a pandemic, that was a big spend for me. That's 750 was a month of childcare, you know, month of groceries. That's, it's a lot of money still for someone like me. I want to bump on that someone like you comment because a lot of the criticisms levied against this rebate has been this is fancy feast for rich people. You know, if they can already f- afford an e-bike, then why do we need to be giving them taxpayer dollars to subsidize it? In your case, it doesn't sound like you're rolling in the dough buying Rolexes every month and this was just taxpayers buttering your coffers. This sounded like it materially helped you, No. I may own a restaurant. Doesn't necessarily mean that I'm rolling in dough all the time or making a ton of money. I've been a cook my entire life, uh, making you know low wage. Uh, don't didn't have a lot of savings prior to ownership of a restaurant or anything. Yeah, this this could potentially be a, a life changing decision for me, and and in a good way, uh, especially on the money side of things. Well, we hope to see you cruising around on that e bike out on the trails. I know I'm out almost every day, and. Another cyclist, it's always happy to see you around. Thanks for coming on, Andrew. Well, thanks very much for talking to me, guys, and uh, take care and stay safe. Okay, that was very interesting from a firsthand perspective, but 
It pains me to have to do this because I do not want to be the guy who complains about the e-bike rebate. I want this e-bike rebate. We need to tackle climate change. Like this is a trivial thing. We shouldn't be penny pitching this small amount of money. But this was incredibly poorly implemented, right? Well, I can see that point of view because as you said right off the top of the show, only you know 88% of people aren't getting the money that they thought they might get, Andrew being one of them, right? All of these people applied and and now they haven't even heard back yet, but when they do hear back, it's just going to be, sorry, the program is oversubscribed. You know, I guess we knew at the beginning that it was $750 and we kind of knew how much the total program cost was, although that wasn't super clear. So, you know, that's how these rebate programs work, right? Not everybody who applies gets it. That's why you have to apply. But I think you're right that this, in the end, was pretty poorly rolled out. Let's talk about council because while I have concerns for the bait and switch on uh, citizens of the city of Edmonton, I don't think a single city councilor has expressed any concern for that. Their concerns are more targeted around the optics of this whole situation. Right. So the vote was 10 to 3, essentially. Um, so you had McKean in the news uh, recently, a couple, maybe a week ago now, two weeks ago, saying that Quote, this just seemed all a little tone deaf in the context of a pandemic. I think now is the time to talk about suspending or even canceling the program, end quote. And he also said in that article, that's a Global News one you'll find in the show notes, that he didn't even remember debating this. He thought maybe it was tucked away in a report and he said sorry about that. I mean, yeah, it was a little bit tucked away, but not hidden. And hey, you're a counselor. You can ask these questions. You can find this information out. Also... It was $50,000 in a several billion dollar operating budget. Right. I think it's perfectly acceptable for it to be tucked away somewhere. Yeah, I think that's a fairly good point, right? Like this isn't a top level item. This is not a yellowhead freeway kind of project. It doesn't need to be uh, bolded and underlined in, in the report. So McKean kind of led the charge on this, but clearly a lot of other counselors felt the heat about this uh, and decided that this was a good thing for them to maybe score some brownie points and vote against it and vote it down, cancel the program for the remaining two years, not for 2020, but for 2021, 2022. I mean, I think what council's missing here is the the bigger picture. Like they had already declared a climate emergency. They had already approved a bunch of things in our energy transition strategy. They've already decided that climate change is something that's important that they need to start to address. And now they're presented with a very small program, as you said. It's like 0.005% of the budget that can actually do something about it. Like we heard from Andrew, like he actually made life choices based on this. It actually encouraged the behavior, incentivized the behavior that council's wanting to see. And then when, when that happens, council says, no, 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 we can't do that. That's way too much money. Like that's insane. Last week, I had uh, graced our guest with a hypothetical, and I'm going to propose one to you now and tell me Ooh, if I'm completely off base. If I was, for example, a senior level bureaucrat at the city of Edmonton who lives in St. Albert and really hates this bike strategy that this city is pushing and some of my colleagues are pushing, and I wanted to really kill this program, not just stop it, but nuke it from orbit, what I might do is bundle the program with electrical vehicle chargers to increase the total program cost and give Mike Nickel a big number to post on Facebook. All the meanwhile, making sure that no one is going to enjoy this program. It's going to be so small and so oversubscribed that 
citizens will be upset with it. And then I have the whole year to launch it, but I'm going to choose one specific time when there's a global bike shortage from people buying too many bikes and we're in the middle of a pandemic and I'm going to launch it right then. If I was that enterprising uh, person who wanted to end this program catastrophically, that's how I do it. Yeah, I think that's plausible. And you might even cap that off by framing what council decided to do in canceling it as a success. You know, that's what the city said to Taproot in a statement. They said, quote, the purpose was to raise awareness and adoption. And given the attention this program has received, many Edmontonians are now aware of the electric bike as a cycling option. <laughs> uh, that's that's pretty good. You go out on the street and you say, hey, free burgers and people line up and then they get to the front and they say, oh, burgers are 10 bucks. And then people are angry. But you say, great success. We've raised awareness for hamburgers. Right. Totally. <laughs> I mean, I think you might be giving this hypothetical person in, in administration a bit too much credit. They're surely not organized enough to, to create a scenario like that, right? You're probably right. I can't have it both <laughs> ways. They can't be buffoons and also geniuses. Um, so you said you got some uh, statements back from the city. So the main question I have is, what was the plan here? Because we know now, we didn't know at the start, but we know now that it was $50,000 per year for three years. We know that it can be up to 750 bucks. So, you know, do some back of the napkin math and roughly 210-ish people over those three years can get an e-bike. What was the city's plan when they opened it up and on day one, I assume, got that many because it was 691 in a week. Yeah, in a week. Exactly. So, I mean, the uh, applications were first come, first serve. They are doing some evaluation of those, an audit of those applications to confirm eligibility. They told us that everybody is either going to receive a rebate or a notice that the program was fully subscribed. We know most people will get the latter. And the statement goes on to then kind of say that they didn't really have a plan beyond that. I mean, they were going to notify people but that was it. They didn't have any plan for the other people that had applied. They knew, I guess, that they wouldn't have been able to give money to everybody. And they kind of now have shifted into, like I said earlier, they're trying to spin it as a bit of a success or that this is a welcome change. Now they're talking about fiscal challenges and how ending this program um, and diverting the funds into other things like job creation and expanded municipal services, you know, strikes a good balance here between the commitment to promoting low carbon transportation and addressing immediate municipal requirements. And I saw Councillor Knack on Twitter talking about his decision to vote against uh, the program, to, to vote to cancel it, uh, along with the other nine who did. And And he basically said, you know, I'm keen to get buses back running at you know, regular schedules and we have core municipal services that we've really got to make sure that we're providing. But $50,000 a year is not going to do any of that. Well, Mac, that can create almost one job. Yeah, not at the way the city pays people, right? I mean, come <laughs> on, like this is this is crazy. I mean, I get the argument and it's really more about optics. It's not about anything real here, right? That's not going to that's not going to materially move the budget forward. It's not going to bring transit back faster. None of those things. Even if you make the argument that it should be done in combination with a series of other things, it doesn't really move the needle there. And all the while, climate change hasn't stopped. That's not changing. We still have targets we need to meet. We've still made commitments there. And we actually have evidence that this tiny program at $50,000 a year actually started to do something there. 
Councillor McKean, uh, the Ward 6 counselor who supervises the downtown area where um, a lot of people who would like to have an e-bike would tend to commute in and around. He can take credit for canceling this rebate. Good job, Councillor McKean. You did it. You accomplished your goal. Speaking of poor optics, uh, let's move on to the Edmonton Public School Board, which had an update this week. Last week, uh, I had pretty forcefully explained why the board absolutely had to have a recall of the previous vote after Cheryl Johnner had resigned. That episode, like it, it always does, got released slightly after the news that the board would reconvene uh, this week on Tuesday to put on the agenda that exact motion. On Tuesday, however, not quite that happened. Um, there was a bit of procedural snafu. Right. So the board met on Tuesday. My understanding is they needed to have a unanimous vote to bring this motion back to be able to reconsider it. And they failed to get that. And we can talk about that in a second. But, you know, I was thinking about it between our episode last week and this week. And you did a great job of explaining it last week. But I was thinking about it like the the school resource officers, this vote that they were going to have is to remove them from the schools immediately. But the schools are closed, and they have been closed for a while. There's no students there. The officers have been redeployed, according to the Edmonton police. As far as we know, school's not coming back again until September. So even if this vote had gone ahead and had been approved and they'd voted to remove them right away, it wouldn't materially have done anything, right? So what's the significance of this? Mechanically, nothing really changes because the police aren't currently in schools and schools are closed and there is time before school starts again to potentially remove them or suspend them. But I think the big critical thing is showing that the board is willing to tackle hard problems and address systemic racism. So to hear from upwards of 30 speakers present how they really do not feel comfortable, do not feel safe with the school resource officer program. Mm -hmm. And then to put forward a motion that says, yeah, we'll look at that, but not do anything about it and say, great, thanks for the Zoom call. See you in September. That sort of flies in the face of everyone who spoke, coupled with the Cheryl Johnner justification and not reconsidering her vote. It says that the Edmonton Public School Board is kosher with systemic racism, which I think is not a message they want to be sending and not a message everyone who went through all the emotional labor to speak at the hearing wants to hear. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. So, I mean, you were basically saying had they decided to get the SROs out of the schools right now, that would have been a way to signal very clearly that they're going to tackle this problem. And in failing to do that, they've signaled the opposite. And I think even worse than that, to use a procedural hampering, which is what Ken Gibson did, rather than voting against suspending, he used the procedure to allow the vote to not happen at all. He hid behind procedure so that he didn't have to answer hard questions from his constituents while he was voting against it. He is basically hiding behind the EPSB policy book as a way of abdicating his responsibility to advocate for constituents. And I think that's what makes people really angry, rightly so. Yeah, he was absent last week. And then you're right, procedural nonsense this week. That's not a good look. The outcome of all of this is essentially no outcome. The board will still perform another vote, the one that Cheryl Johnner had uh, 
influenced with her racist commentary, but that will occur on September 8th. Ken Gibson used procedure to prevent the motion from being dealt with at that meeting, but they still presented the notice of motion. And at the next board meeting on September 8th, the revote will occur. At that point, who knows what will happen because the vote was tied 4-4 with Ken Gibson being absent. Mm -hmm. Ken Gibson clearly does not want to vote yes. So unless one of the people who had voted no prior switch their votes, we're likely to see the same deadlocked vote. Right. That's something that we'll keep track of uh, as the story unfolds in September. But a little closer to home at the uh, city level, another critical vote that happened this week was one to increase the investment in affordable housing in the city by transferring some land to Homeward Trust. And this It's the kind of really feel good, everyone can agree on motion that always gets the rubber stamp and pushes straight through council because it's it's a good decision. And we know that homelessness and affordable housing is a huge issue for the city of Edmonton. So it got an almost unanimous vote. Yeah, before we get to the vote, I just want to point out, like we were talking about earlier with e-bikes, council has already said repeatedly, big picture, affordable housing is an important thing they have to do. We have to do something about in the city of Edmonton. And this is an example of a time when they voted to do something tangibly about it. It says, you know, the city report says we we need 900 housing units to end homelessness by 2024. These four parcels of land will create 150 units. They're going to sell it to Homeward Trust at below market value. It sounds like a great deal all around. This is something they're they're moving forward with. They're finding ways to fill that gap in in terms of housing units without necessarily having the support of the province or the feds. They're taking action. They should do that on climate change. Anyway, you're right. The vote should have been a unanimous, you know, 13 this is not a this not in question, uh, but it wasn't. One person, I'll let you guess who, voted against it. Consider for a moment that John D voted in favor, friend of the podcast. Tony Katarina voted in favor. Tim Cartmel voted in favor. This one counselor, he didn't vote in favor. We all know that we're talking about counselor Mike Nickel, but he took to Twitter to justify his decision. And before the show, you and I both read the Twitter thread and we weren't exactly confident in our ability to paraphrase what he actually means. So I think I'll just read the five tweet thread verbatim and let the listener figure out what's being said here. Quote, why am I often the lone voice of opposition on YEGCC? Well, in this case, as with many others, administration seems to be taking shortcuts and opening us up to problems down the road. I have no issues with the city continuing to address affordable housing and looking for creative solutions. I value the work that Homeward Trust Edmonton does in our community. I'll remind everyone that this council raised property tax on renters this spring by 6.3%, citation needed. Many renters are low-income students, seniors, and or new arrivals in our city. Not a very affordable solution, IMO, ellipsis. So... In this recent vote, we are transferring land for affordable housing. We have made it very clear that council's decision on this issue is firm without any public input. If we want buy-in from the public and their support, we cannot skip these steps. We need a meaningful public engagement as opposed to show and tell. I heard a lot of words there. Yeah, I mean, he's st- <laughs> he starts the thread by saying, we're taking shortcuts and opening us up to problems down the road without really saying what those problems might be. 
nor what the shortcuts are. No, and he ends talking about how we didn't do enough public engagement, or or at least enough meaningful public engagement. Now, I of all people feel pretty strongly about public engagement. That's why I spent four or five years of my volunteer life working on this issue at the city. Uh, but this is this is a decision that council should be empowered to make because the relevant public engagement has already happened. We've already agreed that affordable housing is really, really important. Um, I'm not sure that we needed a ton of engagement on this specific decision, actually. Mike Nickel is very good at looking professional in a suit and saying words. And all of these words with the appropriate context sound like good points. Mm. Public engagement, important. Making sure that uh, we're being affordable for all our low-income students, seniors, and or new arrivals. Yep, that's important. Uh, Creative solutions. Yeah, that's good. Not taking shortcuts or opening us to problems. That's great. Unfortunately, this thing does none of those and none of those are related to each other. I almost feel like there's a Mike Nickel AI writing buzzword bingo, and that's his Twitter feed. Actually, that's a great description for this thread. Uh, you've hit on it. We couldn't we couldn't summarize it before, but imagine that an AI had read all of Mike Nichols' tweets and then crafted a five tweet thread in response to this. That's exactly it. Well, uh, AIs can't craft host read ads. That's something that you have to get hosts to do and it cannot be done any other way so please keep paying the alberta podcast network it's locally grown and community supported this week we want to tell you about world on fire a new podcast from cbc edmonton world on fire is a new five-part series that takes you to the front lines of -of out-of-control wildfires in canada australia and california It's recorded during the COVID-19 pandemic and hosts Adrian Lamb and Mike Flanagan look at what it takes to find hope in the midst of fear and destruction and how communities affected by wildfires rebuild. This series examines the high costs that wildfires cause to people's health, homes, and communities. You can find it on the CBC Listen app or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as well, you can use the internet. It's at cbc.ca slash worldonfire. And that's all for this week. Uh, I do want to close uh, with a shout out to my community league just to the north of us. Uh, this month, the month of June, Ritchie Community League, they organized a cycle challenge with 18 different community leagues. We all loaded up Strava and biked every month as a competition. Ritchie, unfortunately, won the competition. Uh, Hazeldean came in a sad fifth place. But collectively, the 18 community leagues rode 121,688 kilometers in the month of June. That's great. So yeah, we a couple weeks in said, you know, it'd be cool if we got to 100k. And oh boy, did we we beat that by 20%. So congratulations to the 18 community leagues that participated. Always great fun when there's nothing else to do in the world. Good exercise too. And that's all we have time for this week. Until next week, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And I'm Andrew. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Municipally.